Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, which means it is Draft Deep Dives Day with hashtag basketball draft expert Tyler Metcalf. And today we have a new top 75 big board from Tyler. So we're going to discuss that here. Tyler, how are you doing today? Nick, I'm good. Happy to be back on with you. New draft guide is up. I'm excited about it. A lot of words. A lot of words. <laughs> but we'll have a lot of words here, too. I wonder if we can match the number of words spoken to the number of words in the article. It's going to be... Oh, God. I'm not sure we have time for that. It's going to be aggressively many words either way. <laughs> so we did a top 45 big board, your top 45 big board, as pretty much the first episode of Draft Deep Dives before we started doing this every week. But, you know, a draft-related podcast immediately before we started doing Draft Deep Dives every week. I'm going to count it as episode one-half. And so now we will go through 46 through 75. And a few of the names that we already talked about in the Top 45 podcast will show up here. And let's actually start with one of those players right at 46, Eve Pons out of Tennessee. He's a ridiculous athlete, but... His offensive game is very lacking outside of cuts and lob dunks, but he's someone who you had in the top 45 to start with, and he's someone I think could be a really great fit in the right situation, but what are your thoughts on Pons at this point in the draft process? So I'm, I'm a lot higher on Pons than I've seen most places, um, I, I, I suppose, but I, I just think that his elite rim protection and ability to play as like that small ball five um, is something that can immediately translate to the NBA and be really useful in a rotation. Um, and, you know, I, I think when a guy has an elite skill like that, that can really impact a rotation. I, I think that's worthy of a, a second round pick. I'm not sure that he has a ton of ton more upside or growth to his game. Um, I, I tend to believe that he has a little more ability, shooting ability than uh, than most do. His shot's kind of ugly, and he doesn't have great touch on it. But I, I think the results are there where he can, you know, make an occasional trailer three or hit, hit something occasionally off the catch, um, where it's not a complete, you know, no go with him. So, just his overall athleticism, defensive versatility, absurd shot blocking, and you know potential to at least not be a complete negative on offense, I, I think are really interesting for someone at his position. Up next at 47, Ochai Agbaji out of Kansas. And he's a really polarizing prospect. I remember a few years ago when you and I were talking about the draft, you had him as a potential lottery guy. Now you have him down at 47, but honestly, he seems like one of the many players in this draft who could go pretty much anywhere from like back end of the first round through undrafted, depending on what teams think of them through the draft process. Yeah. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, he ends up missing out on draft night. Um, but I, I absolutely think that he at least makes a summer league rotation. Um, and I, I think his biggest detriment or downfall during his college career was that we didn't see that one you know, season to season, drastic spike in production. It, it, it's been pretty steady. He's always had great energy. He's a good athlete, good defender. And this year he took on more of a playmaking and primary initiator role. And we saw a, you know, legitimate improvement in his shooting numbers from outside. So 
it was none of it was to the point where it's like oh my god look at abaji this season but it was like oh wow these are notable improvements that he's made season over season over season and someone at his size and his athleticism and you know his continuously developing two-way versatility I, I i absolutely think that's worthy of of taking or of using a pick on in the second round Speaking of two-way versatility, at number 48, Herb Jones out of Alabama, and he's shown some really interesting skills with the ball in his hands, and I think he's someone who could end up being a steal in the second round, but really whether he's sort of seen as a steal or not, I think will depend on whether or not he can develop a bit more of an outside jump shot to go along with the rest of his game. Yeah, so he's he was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year while also kind of playing point guard for Alabama this year, um, which is kind of odd considering that, you know, that was Kyra Lewis last season and Herb Jones is a six, eight power forward slash center. Um, he's a defender who will switch everything. He can guard basically anyone on the floor. He'll need to bulk up a little bit like all college kids do coming out uh, to really defend the post, but his, on ball skills on offense and then his defensive impact i think at the very least will give him you know a, a role in a top 10 spots in a rotation um where he'll at least get some minutes uh if that shot never comes around that's probably where he'll peak out um we really didn't see him shoot much at all this season but if he does end up developing at least a somewhat reliable jumper uh then then he could have a massive impact on a team up next at 49, Moses Wright. He's a very long 6'9", power forward center type who's very effective at scoring and defending around the rim. But the question with him is going to be what kind of game he has outside of the basket area. Yeah, so just uh, similar to Jones, kind of, where just awesome, awesome defender, uh, really good rim protector. Uh, I, I really like the the improvement he made with his interior scoring this season. I, I think he could play some of that small ball five in the NBA. You know, I just, that that the shot left a lot to be desired. And I, I worry that if that never really develops um, and his, that combined with his kind of ability to create off the dribble or, you know, in those mid-range face-ups, he can't really do a whole lot of creation out of that area. So if he can't expand on that, I, I worry that, you know, that that his role never evolves past a utility defensive player. Up next at number 50, someone else who might have a similar destiny, Raekwon Guerre out of Florida State. He is a defense first player, but his shooting touch, again, leaves a lot to be desired. And that I think will determine sort of what his NBA upside might look like. Yeah, he's kind of an odd player. I and mean, he's, he's a big dude and really good rebounder really smart player like most Florida State players are uh deceptively versatile defensively um and he moves the ball really well almost in a similar but lesser version of Herb Jones uh that 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 outside shooting needs to come around like I, I know there's a common theme here with these guys in the second round and that's because if you know, if that shot comes around, you know, then they look like great value. If it doesn't, well, there's a reason they're not higher on most, on, you know, most draft boards, but 
I, I think his overall basketball IQ, his ability to move the ball, his defensive versatility gives him a really good shot of, of making a team. Up next, we have Isaiah Todd out of the G League Ignite. Obviously, he did not impress as much as Jalen Green and Jonathan Kuminga, who we talked about last week, which is why he's at 51 on your board. But the same reason that the G League Ignite wanted him is the same reason that an NBA team will want him, which is he's got incredible upside if he can figure it out. He's probably the biggest project in this draft. Um, I, I I expect that the, sh- that the shot will translate but outside of that, he didn't show a whole lot in the G League. Um, you know, really long, fluid athlete. I, you know, like I said, I, I think that shot can really punish teams in a myriad of ways, either from the outside or those post turnaround fadeaways, um, or in the mid range, he can kind of shoot off the dribble. But he d- he doesn't have a great feel for the game, where. You know, if he got the ball, it was probably about ninety percent chance that he was putting the shot up. He didn't really see the floor well. He didn't look to make that extra pass. He wasn't great with his offensive positioning, or and his defensive consistency was all over the place. You know, there are a ton of flashes of "Oh my God, this kid could be special," but then you know he'd follow it up with five straight possessions of just "What are you doing?" So he's one of these guys where the very bare bones of a good player are there it's just gonna be a couple years of g league and development until i I think he maybe reaches that potential up next at 52 john petty jr out of alabama the first of two alabama guards that we're right about to discuss right here he's just one of the most fun flamethrowers in the country this last year and when, when he got hot every shot he put up seemed to be going in um just a lot of fun and a a solid on ball defender as well plays with a lot of energy um rarely affected by the defense the problem with that is that he doesn't always have great shot selection and and you know that mentality of shooter shoot is a hundred percent what petty is um even when he's not feeling it he's gonna chuck up shots to try and shoot out of that funk uh so I, he needs to work on his playmaking and his ball movement because the ball usually stops with him. But in those games where he does get hot, and he, he can go five of six from three in about three minutes. Up next, Josh Primo, also out of Alabama. Really good off-ball shooting skills. The questions are just going to be what else he does on the offensive end. That, that, that's what I'm concerned about because ideally I, I would love to see Primo as a point guard. but. You, you know, he, I think it's a combination of him not being able to play that role and him not being asked to play that role at Alabama this year, because we didn't see him do much of anything with the ball in his hands. Uh, I re- really good spot of shooter, uh, good cutter, uh, really good defender. Love his size at six, six, one eighty. He'll, he might be closer to one ninety, um, but that his playmaking, his, ability to create his own shot was really lacking this season. So ideally I would like to see him go back for another year and really show off some of that on ball creation that he hopefully has that could. And if he does so, I think he could easily be a first round pick 
next season. Um, but if he does stay in, I, I, I would not be opposed to taking a flyer on a guy who I see, you know, first round potential in. Speaking of someone who has struggled to create their own shot, our dear friend, Scotty Lewis, who we are discussing once again, because he has fallen out of the top 45 to number 54. His defense is elite. His offense has not been up to par, but I got to be honest. I need to ask Tyler, why are you hurting me like this? Well, I'm just going to keep moving him around. So regardless of whatever the topic is of the podcast, we can talk about Scotty Lewis. So that, that that's the only reason I have him at 54. Um, All right. Well, you're going to have to move him into the top eight for next week before, so we can discuss done. him then. Great. I, he is who he is. I'm a freak athlete, great defender. I just don't think – I just never think the shot is actually going to go in. Well, that is not a problem for number 55 on the list, Joe Wieskamp. Yeah, and just kind of the complete opposite of Scotty Lewis, uh, underwhelming athlete, uh, not a good defender, um, but absolutely deadly shooter, love his off-ball movement, uh, really good rebounder for his position too. So, you know, I, 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 I'm I not going to say he's Duncan Robinson-esque because, you know, they're one of those guys after a couple of years, but that he can I think he will be able to carve out a role um in a rotation just because of his combination of shooting rebounding and just kind of floor and basketball awareness up next at 56 Sandro Mamakalashvili out of Seton Hall he's almost seven feet tall but he plays like a guard he's just got a really weird skill set which makes him hard to evaluate but I think his potential ceiling, if everything goes right, is high enough that I would be shocked if some team doesn't take a second round flyer on him. Yeah, so he, he's been one of the harder guys for me to kind of grade out because I've had him as high as 30. I've had him out of the top 60. I currently have him at 56 because I mean, his offensive game is absurdly unique where he can you know, grab and go in transition. He can create off the dribble. He's he's a really creative and daring passer. He can chew from outside, inside. He can take guys off the dribble. It, it's really weird stuff to see from, you know, a near seven footer of, you know, who who is a center, not one of these weird unicorn small forward seven footers we've been getting. My problem is that he's a horrible defender. And when you're going to be the center, you, you have to have some defensive capabilities. If you're a complete sieve on defense as a center, just your, your value plummets. So I, I love his offensive game. People who have him as high as, you know, 30 or, you know, early second round, I get it. I don't hate it. I just, I really worry that his lack of defense is just going to infuriate coaches and, you know, make him nearly unplayable in their mind. Up next, Derek Alston Jr. out of Boise State. Really, really long, skinny wing. Uh, deadly shooter, despite his kind of odd shooting mechanics. He has a super slow release, but really high release point, And it, he never seems to be affected by closeouts. And defenders never seem to be able to block him, despite how slow his release is. Um, really cool story of a recruit you know, basically coming out of nowhere and just working his butt off every year and developing into a, a really good player at Boise State. Um, love his length, love his shooting. Uh, I, I do think the shooting will translate despite the slow mechanics. Um, he, he definitely needs to add strength because he'll, he'll get 
pushed around pretty routinely. And, you know, that, that lack of bulk, that lack of muscle really hinders his interior game. And, and he's really affected by playing through contact on both ends of the floor. Speaking of a really great story, Quentin Grimes. And we discussed him at some length earlier when talking about the prospects on the final four teams. Quentin Grimes was a top 10 pick coming out of high school, had a very, very disappointing freshman year at Kansas, sort of fell off the draft radar, transferred to Houston, and has basically been climbing his way back up ever since. And for me, the thing with Grimes is that his three-point shot was taken, he took it a lot more often this year, and he knocked it down at a much higher rate this year than he ever had before, from low 30s to basically 40% this year. And that, I think, is the swing between him sort of getting drafted or not. But either way, just a great story for Grimes to sort of build his way back up after that really rough freshman season at Kansas. Quentin Grimes is like the poster child of why transfers are good in college sports, because Kansas was a horrible horrible spot for him and you could tell that he he didn't love basketball anymore and once he got to Houston that completely changed and he's this kid is playing with a smile on his face he's playing competitive and he worked his butt off to make a shot that always looked aesthetically good it just never seemed to really go in he worked his butt off to make it a reliable tool that he can use consistently um I, I think he's a really good defender I you know he he can create off the dribble for himself and you know I he's never gonna be this lights out shooter or high flyer um I you know his shooting consistency may struggle at the next level but I think he's this really well-rounded combo guard who a hundred percent can find a way into a rotation I got to say, up next, I completely agree with the two players that you have at 59 and 60, because I don't think there's any way that they don't get drafted, but I also would not rate them any higher than the very back of the draft. So let's start with number 59, Luca Garza out of Iowa, who has been an incredibly offensively dominant big man in college, but it's really hard to see what of that translates and he's just too slow not to get absolutely roasted on the defensive end. It it feels dirty putting the national college player of the year this low. It it feels wrong, but I just, I struggle to see how Garza has a long successful career in the NBA. I mean, he incredible college career uh incredible score interior score he even expanded his game uh up more this year where he became even more reliable three-point shooter uh and the, the dude w- fights and works his butt off every minute he's out there and is a really good rebounder i just he's an awful defender not a great athlete i mean he really struggles when he goes up against guys who are as big or as strong as him and a lot of his game and success in in college was just outworking and being bigger than everyone else but then you know you you look at the game against Michigan and Hunter Dickinson who's just as big as him if not bigger was kind of able to manhandle him as an 18 year old so I bet Garza gets drafted. He'll go somewhere in the second round. Uh, I don't think he'll have a long NBA career, but I do think that he could be an absolute stud over in Europe. It's interesting. I think that 
it's very likely that he has like a three-year NBA career and then like a decade of domination in Europe because it's either going to be that or it's that he's smart enough and he figures just enough stuff out on the defensive end that he can be like a 10-minute-a-game, like third or fourth big kind of player. But it'll be interesting to sort of see where that goes for him. But up next at number 60, Matthew Hurt, the shooting stretch four out of Duke. And the shot is there. You know, he's got a quick high release. He's going to make a lot of shots at the NBA level. But, I mean, Ryan Anderson could also make a lot of shots at the NBA level. And as soon as switching defenses became more of a thing, Ryan Anderson quickly fell out of the league and... Matthew Hurt might end up having a very similar career to end of career Ryan Anderson, or who knows, you know, maybe he does stick around for a decade as just barely good enough on the defensive end. But I think the late career Ryan Anderson path is a lot more likely for him. Yeah, the, the people who have him in the thirties, I, I don't really get. And and I guess they, they, they likely value his shot way much more than I, I tend to. I, I do think he's a good shooter. Um, he, he, despite his kind of funky catapult like release, uh, he, he has really good length. Um, I, I, he put up big numbers this year, but I think a lot of that was due to the fact that no one else on that Duke team really could. Um, I don't think he can really create anything of his own off the dribble besides, you know, a, a attacking a closeout with, a one or two dribble mid-range pull-up uh, defensively. I think he'll get bullied and targeted. He doesn't have the athleticism, strength, or foot speed to really stay with anyone on the perimeter or interior. So I, I, I struggle to see how his game translates to the NBA really at all. At 61, you have Johnny Juzang, the tournament hero for UCLA. And I don't know, it's interesting because I think I might have him like a little higher than you, but I'd certainly have him no higher than like the 50s. But on the flip side, I would also be kind of surprised if some team doesn't just pick him in the first round and it'll probably be way too early, but picks him because he had that kind of success in the tournament. And I don't know, given the past history of the Kings liking guys who've been really good in the tournament, I'm kind of worried. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of like a slightly bigger watered-down version of Cam Thomas to me, where he he can be a really good good scorer um, like he was in the tournament, and he was incredible in the tournament. Um, but, you know, that was, that was two weeks, two, three weeks of games, not the 20 previous that we saw from him. Uh, and he, he's really, really deadly in the mid-range shooting, uh, completely unaffected by defenders, which is awesome. Uh, he's a pretty smart off-ball defender. Which, so given his size, maybe he can develop into a more reliable defender. But I, and he his outside shot from three wasn't very consistent at all. Um, he's not a great athlete. He doesn't pass really at all. I, I don't think he's a great on ball defender so i mean ideally I, I i would like to see him go back to ucla and you know really be the man because uh, I, I believe chris smith is also uh, is also returning for another year there so I, I think if he went back he could be the real focal point on offense for that team and you know make a deep run and you know maybe have a, like a cory kispert-esque emergence in in his junior year. So I would like that from him, but I, I, I think people are 
way too or are relying way too much on his his March Madness tape because that that was not the player who he was all season. Up next, Mario Nakic out of Serbia. He has really interesting potential as a scoring forward draft and stash type player, but he's also really skinny and not that great of an athlete. So the scoring potential is there, and it seems likely that he's going to be a draft and stash guy. But, you know, he is someone who definitely has the scoring potential to be a bit of a sleeper if he does end up spending a couple more years in Europe. Yeah, if I was a team with not a whole lot of roster spots in the middle, or maybe even early second, uh, Nakic is a guy I would 100% look at taking and leaving over in Europe for a year or two. Just a, a really creative, off-the-dribble creator and scorer. Just You can tell that he really has a, a great feel for the game. Uh, and, and with his on-ball creation and his off-ball defense. Um, like you said, I mean, his lack of athleticism and, and bulk, it really hurts him as an on-ball defender. Um, and that athleticism hurts his interior finishing. So a couple of years from now, maybe he, I, I, I like him as, you know, as that draft and stash prospect. Um, but, you know, I, I hesitate to rank those guys too high um, just because we have so many examples of those guys never even coming over. Up next, JT Thor out of Auburn, and I think and hope that he's going to go back to school because I think he has a decent shot at being a first-round pick next year, but he probably isn't going to go much higher than late second this year, and you have him at 63rd on your board. Yeah, so my guess would be is if he stays in the draft, that means that he has a promise in the early second, maybe even late first, because he has those tools as a 6'10", small forward, power forward, wing, um, incredible length, really good shooter. Um, well, I, I don't want to say really good shooter, but I, I do think his shooting will translate Um good really really good offensive rebounder good shot blocker he just didn't really seem to have a great feel for the game and I, I think this Auburn team is going to be loaded for next season so I, I would absolutely love to see him go back be part of that awesome team show what he's kind of learned and gotten more comfortable with with his playmaking and ball handling and just general feel and sense for the game and then come out and be you know maybe even a lottery pick in next year's draft up next at 64, Austin Reeves, defensive guard out of Oklahoma. Just a tough SOB. I mean, the, he, really surprising. I, the, there, there, there I go, calling, calling a, a white point guard, sneaky athletic. Um, First but, one in the gym, last one out. Yep. Just Coach's son, Brady. Hard hat kind of player. Yep, you know it. Uh, just but now he, he is that player, though. I, I hate myself for doing this, but he is that player. <laughs> I, he's, a, he's a really, really good driver. Wasn't afraid of contact at all. And is kind of a complete 180 from the player that he was at Wichita, Wichita State, where he was this deadly spot-up shooter. So it was kind of cool to see him change his game and become this primary initiator and slasher and the shooting numbers plummeted this year at Oklahoma, but I do still think that there is a shooter in there somewhere. Um, I, I think just the new role that he took on really kind of hindered his ability to 
get back to that same shooting level. So in the NBA, maybe that reemerges if he's asked to play a lesser on-ball role. Um, but really, really tough player, great, great interior attacker, um, just really needs to refine that shooting touch. Up next at 65, Jay Huff out of Virginia. He has the potential to be a 3 and D center, which is a strange archetype that I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of in the years to come. But that sort of defensive prowess, especially his rim protection and shooting touch, means that I think you might have him a little too low at 65. But what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, I just worry about how much like interior defending that he can do that doesn't consist of weak side shot blocking. Um, I, Cause I, I think he gets moved pretty easily on box outs and post-ups, but he he's an incredible shot blocker and I, I love his outside shooting. I mean, he, I, I, I you, you kind of get a lot of Brooke Lopez vibes, just a skinny, skinnier Brooke Lopez. Um, and I, if, if he could end up in Milwaukee and, kind of take over for Lopez in that role. I, I think that would be absolutely incredible for both parties. Up next, Nemius Keda out of Utah State. He's a ridiculous defensive prospect. I think he's won defensive player of the year each of his three years at Utah State. And, you know, that's what he's going to bring to the next level at the NBA is just really great big man defense. Again, just another superb shot blocker. Um, he, he, great feel for the game which we don't always see in big men uh really i i absolutely love his uh offensive post footwork um the the way he can chain two three four five post moves together to get a layup is really impressive um really good rebounder too he expanded his shooting range a bit this season to about the 15 foot range but he he really can't stretch it out much past that. And he has a really weak lower body, which concerns me with his with being able to really be that in, interior force in the NBA. So if, if he can add a bunch of muscle and strength to his lower body, I, I think that'll help a ton. And that in, in tow may help expand his, his shooting range as well. Up next at 67, Charles Bassey out of Western Kentucky. And he was someone who was sort of seen as a first-round pick before going to Western Kentucky and then has slowly slid down prospect rankings ever since. He's an incredible athlete, and the question is just sort of what else is there in that package? Yeah, I think ESPN may even have him as a first-round grade right now, too. So I I, I think this— That's a choice. He, he, I think he may have one of the most polarizing outlooks in this draft where it, it really wouldn't surprise me if an NBA team was like, Ooh, look, uh, an athletic shot blocker, like let, let's take him at 28 or something. And I, I just don't think that's who he is. I, I think he's a pretty good rim runner and interior finisher, good shot blocker, a uh, good leaper. But I, other than that, I, I, I don't trust the shot. I think, I think a lot of his blocks come from chase, chasing shots and not actually being in the right place and timing and being aware of cuts and moves and rebounds and all that stuff. So I, I think his defensive awareness is lacking. So I, I'm just, I'm way lower on Bassey than, than some other outlets are, but I mean, I, 
it, it wouldn't surprise me if teams convince themselves that they can that they're getting a, an athletic rim protector and they think that they can really make his shot translate i'm definitely with you on bassy there are quite a few big men that are higher up on your board that i would way rather have and yeah. i think if someone takes him in the even in the late 20s they're going to be really disappointed but right. Let's move on to number 68 on your list, Julian Champagny. He's, I always get that name wrong, but he is the <laughs> twin that goes to St. John's, and he's also the better shooter of the two champ twins, I'll call them, so I don't mangle that name again. Yeah, so I, Champagny got all of the shooting genes in the family, apparently. Uh, really, really good scorer and rebounder. Uh, love his, I, I, I love his scoring arsenal um my concern is that he doesn't do much else I mean, his perimeter defensive footwork is really sloppy uh he doesn't seem to be a great athlete where he kind of has one gear that he's in the whole time um and he he isn't great at really exploding or decelerating or leaping like he doesn't have that elite athletic skill that you really want from you know your shooting guard or small forward and I I think his defense is a huge work in progress so I I know there are others who are way higher on him I I just worry that he can't or doesn't do much more than scoring up next Santi Aldama who plays for Loyola Maryland the Spanish big man he's got stretch to his game certainly he's got a really great offensive skill set but he's also been you know dominating d2 guys so it's sort of hard to tell how he's going to perform against higher level talent especially since he's not the greatest athlete in the world yeah it it wouldn't surprise me if he's if he put his name in the draft exclusively to get a feeler on what he needs to improve on to make that next step but he 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 is pretty unique with his shooting and ball skills for his size and and he he is a good defender um i he turned the ball over a ton though and his ball security on drives and post-ups was really weak where just a, a simple dig by a weak side guard generally jarred the ball loose and and he, he's really skinny so bulking up adding strength you know not, not even not necessarily even bulking up but just getting stronger um is going to be really important to him for him because i i think that that will really hinder him defensively up next sean d brown out of michigan basically a three and d wing archetype yeah, and he's exactly that. Just just an an energy shooting guard that you can bring off the bench who can knock down corner threes, you know, be a point of attack defender, ton of energy. Not gonna do much more than that. Uh not not a great shot creator, he's not gonna be a playmaker. Um he, he can get caught napping occasionally with his off ball defense, but great 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 work rate as an on-ball defender and i i I buy his shot translating um my guess is that he doesn't get drafted but i i would a hundred percent at least give him a, a summer league contract and it wouldn't surprise me if he if he ends up working his way into like a two-way contract next year up next at 71 max asmus who we've already discussed 
he was one of the stars of the tournament, just electric scoring, playing for Oral Roberts, putting up absolutely ridiculous three-point numbers, both in terms of attempts and makes, as we've already discussed. But the problem with him is he's just small. And, you know, it's hard to see him sort of going much higher than the very back end of the second round, because even though he could score like crazy at the college level, his size is really going to be a problem, especially on the defensive end at the NBA level. Yes, I mean, he, he's listed at 6'1", 165, which feels big. Um, an incredible scorer off the bounce, really good shooter from pretty much limitless range. Uh, the, the size is just going to kill him because he'll get targeted and abused on defense. And I, I don't love his decision-making with this playmaking and shot selection either, but on that team, um, you know, and he, he was an incredible scorer. So it's, it's hard to knock it too much. I, I just get too many, you know, vibes of like a Carson Edwards or Tremont waters where he, he's just going to be too small to really consistently impact winning, you know, hopefully at the, I think best case scenario is like a, an Aaron holiday role. But I, I think even then I, I, I struggle to see him reaching that point. And up next at 72, a very different kind of player, Marcus Garrett, who's basically a defense first secondary playmaker whose jump shot is going to be the real issue. Yeah, and he's going to provide almost no offensive impact, but he's one, he was one of the best defenders in the country. Uh, he, he, he's a, he saw a decent amount of success as a slasher too, but I, his, his entire game and if he makes an NBA rota- roster, his entire role will be to be that elite defender. Um you know, I, I think he can switch on multiple positions, but if he can't do much of anything on offense, then, you know, he, he may never make up or he may never see the floor, but that, that defense will at least give him a starting point and fighting for a spot. Up next at 73, Jason Preston, who we talked about at some length on one of our previous podcasts, his feel for the game is exceptional, but his athleticism is really going to limit his upside. And I, I worry that that lack of athleticism will just take him completely out because it. I don't think he'll be able to create the same types of shots in the NBA that he did in college. Um, and it really hindered him to the point and as a college defender where he was bad as an on-ball defender. So in the NBA, it will it will be really tough. Um, but I, he's a really, really, really impressive passer. Uh, he can create off the dribble with his good ball handling um, and getting to the rim and he's a good off ball defender. So, you know, there are pieces there. I'm just, I think that lack of athleticism makes him too much of a liability. Up next at 74, Jericho Sims, just an athlete at center out of Texas. God, this, this dude is built. Oh my God. Uh, maybe the best vertical spacer in this draft uh just pure pure athlete good shot blocker good rebounder uh he has absolutely zero touch around the rim so if he's not dunking it he's probably not scoring free throws aren't going to be his thing either uh not great with the ball in his hands not going to be able to shoot but and he, he i think he's a little more versatile as a defender than he's given credit for. And there, there are a lot of possessions this season where he got switched out onto a guard and, you know, got 
low in the defensive stance and, and was able to cut the guy off. You know, you, you don't want him doing that every possession, obviously, but you know, as that athletic vertical spacing rim protector, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to taking, you know, or to look, be opposed to looking at Sims over Bassey even. And finally, closing out the top 75, we have Senegalese center Khalifa Jop. Yeah, so he's going to be another project and draft and stash type guy, but there's a, a ton of upside there. Um, but the problem is that it's kind of only upside at this point where he's really mobile for his size. Uh, I, you know, he, he just doesn't have a great feel for the game with his lack of awareness and defensive consistency. So I, I would take a, you know, I'd be intrigued to take a flyer on him late in the second if I was able to get, you know, an interview or some workouts or something with him. Uh, who knows how that'll look with some of these overseas guys. But a lot to like there. He may be one of these guys that we look at more uh, a, a year or two from now. All right. So that is the rest of the top 75. And we've already done a podcast on the top 45, but there have been some changes in that top 45 since our last discussion. So I wanted to talk quickly about some of the risers and fallers in the top 45, and more specifically, the risers and fallers in the lottery area. So let's start with, I think, the most surprising for me, which is that you have Trey Mann at seven, and I was expecting you to put him at maybe two or three. <laughs> but talk about Trey Mann. Why do you have him all the way up at number seven on your board? I mean, he's so much fun. I mean, oh God, I, I love this kid so much. He, he's just an absolute joy to watch. And I know I'm higher than him on almost anyone, uh, maybe other than his mother, but you know. I'm, I'm gonna rival her but i think his mother I, has him at eighth on our board so <laughs> um i mean he he's the best space creator in this class i think by a pretty wide margin a uh, really good ball handler uh great with step backs side sidestep pull-ups uh really comfortable in the pick and roll um i i think he's a better playmaker than he gets credit for i don't think that florida team was very good or you know that well coached um but I, his playmaking is a little reactionary still and he needs to work on you know passing guys open but i do think that he is a an accurate passer i think he sees the floor pretty well he can make those live dribble skip passes um and then given his growth spurt and he grew four or five inches since last year so i think that accounts for a lot of his inability to play through contact at the rim or on defense because he, he he does struggle to finish through contact at the rim and really fighting through screens but and he just added five inches in the last 12 months so i think as he continues to to kind of get used to his body and add muscle and who knows maybe he may grow a little more um i i think he'll be able to add muscle and i think a lot of those at rim finishing concerns and defensive concerns will kind of subside. And I, I don't think he'll ever be a great defender, but I don't think he's going to be as bad as some people are making him out to be this last season. Next, you had Zaire Williams out of Stanford falling from six to nine. And 
given the three players that you now have ahead of him and just the miserable season in every possible way that he had during his freshman year at Stanford, I get it. But we had discussed previously that you were considering bumping him down to 11. And for me personally, I think it's hard to see him falling out of the top 10 just because him falling out of the top 10, I think, would be putting way too much stock in this season. And even in spite of all of those things, you know, he still had a decent enough season, unlike, say, Brandon Boston Jr., to not fall entirely out of the lottery range. Yeah, um, and I, I'm still super high on Zaire Williams. I, I think he has the potential to be an awesome player. Um, and him falling a couple spots was less him, me viewing him in a worse light and more me just moving those other three guys up. Um, I to, to recap his year from hell, I, he has this weird bike accident where he hits a pothole and has to wear a knee brace for their preseason tournament. He has two deaths in the family that take him away from the team uh, for three weeks because of COVID protocols. He has to wait to rejoin. They're playing in the Warriors G League facility because all of Stanford's facilities are closed. They don't have access to any weight room. So you could not ask for a worse outcome to a year from Zaire. With that said, he still showed a lot to absolutely fall in love with. I think he's a really good decision maker, uh, really impressive passer for his position, not going to be the playmaker or anything, but good ball mover, uh, tough shot maker, good rebounder, uh, and, and just competes really hard. Uh, n- needs to work on his defensive consistency with getting down in his stance, and that may be tough given his length. Um, but you know, something he needs to focus on and then really working on his ball handling and ball security. And if he can, can tighten up that handle, I I think he could be one of the best kind of shot creators in this class a few years from now. And up next, James Booknight, you had him at seventh at one point, you now have him down all the way to 14th. Part of that I'm sure is that he did not do well in either the conference tournament or the NCAA tournament, and more than just, you know, having a few bad games, it's that those games really sort of highlighted the downside potential of Book Knight, namely that, especially in the tournament game, he scored 15 points on 16 shots and didn't really contribute much outside of inefficient scoring. So I get why you have him down at 14, certainly. Yeah, and I I just worry about, I, I think he's, I love his off-ball movement. I think he will be a good scorer. I I worry about how good of a shooter he'll actually be, though. I mean, shooting 29% on five attempts a game isn't ideal. I I, I like the volume. I like his general kind of space creation flashes that he showed. Um, I just worry about how how his slow release uh, is going to affect his shooting at the next level. I think he's a smart off-ball defender and and a good athlete i worry about his on-ball or his lateral lateral quickness as an on-ball defender you know going north south he's a really excellent athlete which makes him really great attacking the rim and the half-court offense but his east east west stuff i was underwhelmed by defensively um so there's still a lot to like there i just think there are maybe some more red flags than you know that then we saw from him in the first three-fourths of the season. And the player that you now have ahead of him at 13th, 
pretty much unquestionably the biggest draft board riser of the past month and a half or so. Josh Giddy for the Adelaide 36ers is now up at 13th. And given his size and playmaking ability, it certainly seems like a team could very much consider drafting him in the lottery when coming into this year, I mean, he was sort of pretty much off the, certainly off the first round draft radar pretty much entirely. And, you know, I'm not even sure that he had much of a shot at being a high second round pick until this absurd stretch that he's been on for the last two months but you know playmaking at his size and with his capability off the dribble is really something special just watching him manipulate manipulate a defense is so much fun and the way he can you know whip those live dribble skip passes with either hand it, it almost seems to catch defenders unaware because they're just not used to seeing that type of accuracy with a guy with his weak hand or strong hand and it's just it's really impressive we don't see guys his size really do that on a routine basis um and on top of that his shot is starting to look better and be more consistent I don't think he's ever going to be this lights out shooter but I mean if he's in the mid to high 30 percent as a shooter that's going to open up so many things on the floor for him because defenders won't be able to leave him, you know, when someone else has the ball, they won't be able to go under screens. He'll be able to really attack and put pressure on the defense in so many different ways, you know, now, and he, he is really skinny for his size. So his at the at rim pressure is a little less, but as he continues to add strength, I, I'm really excited for the type of player that he that he really could develop into and that he's been kind of steadily growing into um, over or during the stretch run of his uh, NBL season. All right. So before we wrap up here, I wanted to just discuss a couple of sleepers each, players who are out of your top 75, but that we wanted to talk about. And I wanted to start with EJ Liddell out of Ohio State, and he's a 6'7", 240 power forward type, but the question with him is really going to be the shooting touch, but I got to admit, I would have him a lot higher on my personal board than you, because I think that his skill set outside of shooting is good enough that he's going to find ways to contribute to an NBA rotation. You know, he's a really smart player, and he's a pretty solid defensive switch kind of player as well. So I think that even if his shot doesn't really come along, I think there will be a way for him to find minutes. And, you know, I think he could be really effective in a small role just based on the rest of his complementary type skill set. Obviously, the shooting is going to be the swing skill for him, but I think that he could be a decent second-round flyer even if the shooting doesn't come around. I guess I, I, w- I would just more prefer to see him go back to school for another year and show... Sure. Yeah, I would too. And show some some more growth with his perimeter skills because I'm... I, he his game is kind of like an old school power forward. He's just two, three, four inches shorter than they used to be. So I, you know, I worry that his lack of size combined with his lack of kind of per, offensive perimeter skills 
are, are just going to hurt him too much where, and you know, I, I don't want him or he doesn't, and I would love for him to be a dead eye shooter, but I, he, I don't think he needs to reach that. I think he just needs to show more competency with having the ball in with his ball, perimeter ball handling and some, somewhat more reliable shooting where they can prove that he can play on the perimeter because if he is going to play that kind of small ball four or small ball five rule then you know you you don't want to have him post-centric you you want to be able to spread the floor out and you know if you do that with him as a small ball five right now there's just really no threat out there that the defense has to worry about up next, you wanted to talk about Johan Begerin out of Guadeloupe, who is a ridiculous athlete, and that, I think, is the starting and ending point for thinking about him as a prospect. But what are your thoughts on Begerin? Yeah, I mean, God, he's a good athlete. I mean, open floor, just killer. Uh, and, you know, given that athleticism, you know, it suggests that, like, God, I feel like we say this every year that, oh, he's a good athlete. He, he'll be a here. He could be a great defender and then they never are. Uh, but he, he could be a, a good defender with his athleticism. I just feel that, or I'm worried that he's more athlete than ball player. And he, he doesn't have a great feel for the game with his passing, shooting, decision-making, which are nothing, you know, bad things that you to have as a guard, but as a pure athlete, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a draft and stash candidate late in the second. So I wanted to discuss Trendon Watford next. He is someone who has a really interesting skill set. He's pretty good with the ball in his hands as a six nine power forward. But, you know, the questions for him are going to be, first of all, what he does off the ball. And second of all, is he a good enough athlete? Because... If he doesn't improve somewhat off the ball, I'm just not sure that he adds enough value as an on-ball guy for an NBA team to want him to have the ball in his hands consistently. But if he can figure it out more off-ball, you know, develop his shooting a little bit, he could be a really interesting player as a secondary playmaker type. But if he doesn't develop much more, then he's not going to be useful without the ball in his hands. And I just don't think he's good enough to have the ball in his hands frequently enough for that to be a worthwhile use of draft capital. Yeah, I, I kind of wish that LSU would have used him more as a screener and kind of see how he could. So, and selfishly, we could see how he could create out of the short roll or, you know, how he could finish as a roller. Um, because, and he, he was almost like the primary initiator for a lot of the time for that LSU team and an impressive ball handler for his position and just kind of this old school bully ball, you know muscle your way to the rim and finish through contact i i think that's going to be way less effective in the nba and i you know i worry about his athleticism and like you said that that off ball movement if if he's cutting if he's relocating if he's you know creating out of the short roll i think that skyrockets his ceiling and you know what he could be in the nba but he just if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's shown very little feel for the game. And last player on the list, we have Isaiah Wong, the point guard from Miami. Yeah. So admittedly still need to dive more into Wong, but he's a, he's an intriguing guard from Miami. um, And he, 
I would anticipate that he ends up going back to school, but definitely someone to keep an eye on. Uh, a pr- pretty dynamic shot creator uh, needs to improve his shooting consistency, but I, I, I like his on-ball defense and his playmaking. So it wouldn't surprise me if his name kind of pops up here and there during the draft process. Um, and I expect him to eventually go back to Miami, but an intriguing guard that you should, that people should definitely keep an eye on or uh, for, for next season. All right. Anything else here before we wrap up plugs, further discussion points, go for it. Yeah. Go. Everyone should go over to hashtag basketball.com. Check out the, the updated draft guide. Uh, as always joey does an awesome job designing it i just write words he makes them look good um top 75 strengths weaknesses summaries uh some shades of with player comps they're shades of not one-for-one comparisons uh yeah and other than that jalen suggs in-depth scouting report will be coming out soon just have to figure out the 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 new video host for the website and i will have something on anthony edwards is defense which has not been good uh over on canis hoopus in the next couple days uh and power rankings on hashtag there we go power rankings on hashtag to close it out well he is tyler metcalf you can find his work as he mentioned on hashtag basketball both in the power rankings and of course in the top 75 which you should all go check out as well as at canis hoopus you can find me on twitter at n-b-a-j-o-h-n-s-o-n you can find tyler t-m-e-t-c-a-l-f-1-1 and you can find my work on the hashtag basketball power rankings as well as over at netsrepublic.com. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.